question this morning. I don't want you to answer. I just want you to think with me for, for a moment. What makes for successful ministry? What makes for successful ministry? Could it be more people? What makes for successful ministry? Could it be more money? People who give. Lots of money. And so we've got lots of money. Could it be busyness? That everyone who comes is active and involved and very busy. Very busy in ministry. What makes for successful ministry? Well, there are loads of books on the market that give advice on what makes for effective ministry and successful ministry, but our best guide, you know where I'm headed, right? Our best guide for successful ministry and for effective ministry is what? God's Word, right? God's Word is the best guide we have, and there are good books, and not to, not to, not to make little of education and good books, but... There is nothing like the good book, right? Ministry that is driven by the latest fads may look successful by man's standards, but our, our challenge in the church today and as individuals involved in ministry is to ask if the ministry we're doing is biblically based. If the ministry that we're involved in is actually based on God's word, if it is centered on God's word, motivated by what we find in God's word, challenged by, encouraged by what we find in God's word, and bringing glory to God. God's word is our measure for success in ministry. Now, we, could, we could have shelves lined with books offering all sorts of ministry advice, but, but what we really need and what we always need to go back to is God's word. We must be centered and focused on and founded on God's word in this work that we call the ministry for Jesus Christ. So what does the Bible say about ministry? Well, our study in the book of Acts has been a a tremendous help in helping us understand how the church should function. And today will be no different as we go to Acts chapter 20. I want you to turn there with me, Acts chapter 20. Today as we look at the 20th chapter of Acts, we're going to make several observations about Paul's model for ministry. And I don't always do this, but in this passage in this chapter, uh, chapter 20, what I want to do is go through the scriptures and just point out the, the, uh, the model for ministry that we can find in Paul's life. Just each point that we find that brings encouragement to us, even challenge to us and instruction to us in doing ministry God's way, God's, God's way being the way we find in God's word. As we find those points, I want to show them to you and just share briefly about each one. There are many that we see here in chapter 20. We're going to look at all of chapter 20 today, but not all of chapter 20 this morning. Okay, So I want to encourage you to come back tonight for the remainder of the study. But tonight, this morning, we're going to start at verse 1 and proceed through. And I want to just pull out and show you several, uh, several aspects of ministry that Paul was involved in and how he did ministry and let it challenge your hearts and mine in how we are to do ministry find some great help here about what God's word says and about what we find here in Paul's life. Some great help, some great instruction for us about what a Christ-like ministry is, what a biblically-based ministry is, 
and how you can measure the effectiveness of a ministry, but based on God's word and no other, no other measure. Now, there are several helpful insights to be gained about Christ-centered, biblically-based ministry from the life of Paul here in Acts 20. So let's begin with verse 1. I want you to follow along as I begin to read. Verse 1, Acts 20, After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Stop right there for a moment. I want you to note with me the first lesson that we learn here from Paul about ministry is that ministry should be a caring ministry. Our ministry to others and for others for the cause of Christ ought to be one of showing care. Paul was caring We see his care for others in a couple of ways. First, we see in verse 1 that he embraced the disciples. He embraced the disciples. I want you to note in verse 2 how he encouraged them with his many words. Now, maybe my many words don't encourage you. I hope they do. But his many words encouraged them. He encouraged them with his embrace, and he did so with his many words. He cared deeply about the people to whom he was ministering and with whom he was ministering. He cared deeply about those people he was serving. We see the evidence here in this passage, and we see it elsewhere as well, where Paul noted in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, Paul says this, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. Paul cared deeply for those he was serving. Paul had a caring heart. He loved those he was serving, and it was very evident in his words and in his actions. If we want an effective ministry as a church and as individuals in the ministry that God has given to us, we need to love and care for people. Ministry is nothing if it is not one that is at least caring and loving for others. That phrase that we have often used here, loving God, loving people, ought to remind us and be a constant reminder to us of our responsibility to not just be students of the word, but also be doers of the word, to love God and love people and care for people. Remember in Matthew, the question asked of Jesus in chapter 22 It's really where we get the little phrase, loving God, loving people. Matthew 22, verse 36, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? In verse 37, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments being uh, hang, hang all the law and the prophets. Love God with everything you've got and love people like you already do yourself, right? 
loving God, loving people. I have been, I can tell you that I have been greatly encouraged as your pastor by those who go out of their way to encourage others. I love it when people, um, and, and even recently, have come to me and said, I want you know, so-and-so's phone number. I want so-and-so's address. I want to know how I can contact so-and-so. I want to encourage them. That is important for us as a church, that we are caring for each other. It is a great encouragement to me as your pastors to witness you caring for one another and for others. The love, loving one another, loving others, not just our own church body, but those outside the church body is a huge encouragement to me when I see others caring for people outside the church, those who are in need, encouraging them. This is not the work of just a few of us either. This really is the task of each of us. It is really the responsibility of each of us who call Higgins Lake Baptist Church home to be caring for and loving for others. Paul Paul was a great model of this, and he was able to do it. He was willing to do it, but he modeled it for the churches and for the believers there that he ministered to. And we are challenged by this this morning. I am challenged by this this morning. Having a heart that loves and cares for others like Paul had isn't always easy, is it? There are difficult people, aren't there? Sometimes it's not easy to care for others as we'd like. But for effective ministry like Paul modeled, we need to love others and we need to love them as we do ourselves. We don't hesitate to take care of ourselves, do we? We don't hesitate to give ourselves the things that we need. Let's make sure that we're loving others as we already love ourselves. We need hearts that are loving and caring. Ministry is nothing if it is not a loving and caring work for people. Paul models that for us very well. I want you to note, too, the second thing that we see goes right along with that. Really, he was was very sacrificial in his work. Look at verse 4 with me, would you? He was sacrificial. Verse 4 says, And Sopater, a Berea, accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe and Timothy, and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia, all hard names. I don't think I'd name my kid any of those kids, any of those names. Verse 5, These men going ahead waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Did I tell you that our service tonight is going to be a long one? Just, just you know, taking my example from the text here, right? Just kidding. Note that Paul had to leave the next day. It says so in verse 7. He had to leave the next day. But here he is preaching until midnight. What, if, what is that if it's not sacrificial? He was you know, giving of himself and of his time. And if you look down at verse 11, you'll see he kept talking until daybreak. And it was a good sign that there were still people there as he was talking. I think, you know, he, he could have easily said, couldn't he have, you know, hey, guys, I need my sleep, all right? So I'm only going to be able to give you a little bit of my time because, hey, I've, I've got to travel tomorrow. I need to be ready. got a big day tomorrow. I need my sleep, so I'm not going to be able to meet with you for very long. And really, it would have been perfectly reasonable for him to take some time for himself, yes? I mean, we all need sleep. Paul was no different than you or I. He needed sleep. 
Yet his sacrificial attitude here and his sacrifice of his own comfort for the sake of others is a, is a real challenge to us that, that truly Christ-centered biblical ministry will require some sacrifice. It won't always be easy. Truly Christ-centered biblical ministry is not necessarily easy. Sometimes it is very hard. And sometimes it will require from us a sacrifice. Paul models that for us. He was, he was one who was very willing to give of himself and even his own health and safety for the cause of Christ. Now, I want you to note with me where his priorities were, though. His priorities remind us where our priorities ought to be. Paul's priority, and let me just tell you up front, Paul's priority was the word. Okay, Paul's priority was the word. Look at verse 8 and following. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And as, there had to be something wrong with this guy because Paul, I mean, come on, you know, I mean, Paul was, had to be preaching a good message. He was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Verse 10 says, But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now, when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. In other words, they were very comforted. Okay. I see, and you should see by Paul's priority here, his priority was the teaching of the word. A wonderful miracle takes place. We, you know, we, we make much of miracles and they are much to be made of. But a wonderful miracle takes place, but Paul goes right back to fellowship and teaching. Do you see that? And God's power is obviously evidenced here. Here's this young man who's become drowsy. He's fallen asleep. Don't sit in windows if you're sleepy, right? Especially open windows. He fell out of the window. He falls into this deep sleep, falls three stories to his death. Luke mentions here that there were many lamps in the room where they were meeting. Maybe the young fellow was overcome by the fumes. I know I just walk through the candle aisle in Walmart and I start sneezing. So maybe, you know, he was like me and he can't take, couldn't take all the fumes, right? Here's this young fellow. He's overcome by the fumes or, or just the, the long day, right? It couldn't have been Paul's preaching. It was, I'm sure his preaching was very interesting and easy to listen to, right? It could have been. But he falls asleep, falls three stories. I want you to note here the liberal critics of this text who, who don't believe in miracles would say that the young man was merely, uh, he merely appeared to be dead. Um, But I want you to remember this. Luke states that he was taken up dead. Luke was a doctor, right, who wrote Acts. He was a doctor. And if he he says he was dead, he was dead, all right? Because if if Luke was a doctor, he could probably tell if someone was alive or not, I'm guessing. Paul goes down, falls on the boy, embraces him, saying, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now, through the power of God, the young man is brought back to life. But I want you to notice that in verse 11, that Paul goes right back to the upper room and he breaks bread with them. And then he continues talking and teaching those who had gathered. They didn't all of a sudden stop and have a healing service, right? 
Paul's priority was teaching, not a healing ministry. He wasn't there to hold a healing service. His main priority was in preaching and teaching the Word of God. How easy it would be. How easy it would be to be distracted by this dramatic event. And say, well, look what God did. We need, to, we need to give some attention to this. But Paul's priority was the Word. He knew what people needed was the Gospel. And they needed the Word. And they needed godly wisdom to live in a Christ-honoring life. Paul wasn't distracted. He, he knew what the priority was. He continued to talk and teach until daybreak. And in ministry, we need always to keep the gospel the main thing. We need to keep the main thing the main thing, right? The priority of Paul's ministry was teaching the Word of God. I think the lesson for us is that we could easily get caught up in all sorts of activities We could easily get caught up in saying, well, we need more things to do as a church, more programs, more activities, more fun stuff, you know, more things to do. And get caught up in those things as a church and neglect the centrality of God's Word. It's okay to to have activities, but not at the expense of being centered on and focused on the centrality being God's Word. Our priority is the gospel and the faithful proclamation of it. If we did nothing else, if we did one thing, if we only did one thing as a church, we ought to be preaching and teaching God's word. I want you to look at verse 13. It says in verse 13, Then we went ahead to to the ship and sailed to Asos, there intending to take Paul on board, For so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. Paul walks alone for a period of time. There's there's something here for us in our daily spiritual lives, I believe, as we we strive to do ministry in a biblical fashion. There are going to be times when we need to be alone. I think Paul walks alone for a period of time. Paul made part of his journey on foot while the others sailed. It's not clear. It's really not clear from this passage why he walked while the others sailed. But perhaps it gave him some time alone. I'm I'm suggesting that it did. Because if Paul was alone walking on the road by himself, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm guessing he was probably praying. I'm probably I'm guessing he was probably spending some time alone with with the Lord in prayer. It's a pattern that we see in the life of Jesus. Note that Luke's, Luke five sixteen says of Jesus, so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. I think the the thing that I see Paul doing here, with no explanation, he's going off, walking by on foot by himself, ought to be a reminder to us that we do need some time alone. We do need time alone in God's word. We do need time alone in prayer. Let's remember that if we wish to be an effective ministry, we need time alone in prayer. That's one of the reasons that we need to be careful, carefully centered and focused on God's word. Again, we go back to activity and we can say, well, more programs, more activities, more stuff for people to do. And we could be taking them away from time alone with God in the word and prayer. We want to be very careful about that as a ministry that we don't overwhelm people with things to do when what they really should be doing is focusing their heart's attention on God's word and prayer 
And then the outcome of their lives flowing from that relationship with Jesus Christ. The outflow of the ministry being their relationship with Jesus Christ. So remember, if we want to be an effective ministry, we need time alone in prayer. We need time alone in the study of God's Word. We need time to be still and know that He is God, don't we? We need time in God's Word away from all the busyness, don't we? And there's lots of busyness in in the world that we live in, isn't there? So traveling on foot for part of the journey very well could have been an opportunity for Paul to have some time alone with the Lord in prayer. Now we see though, that Paul didn't go it alone. He wasn't a lone ranger, so to speak, right? Paul joins the others. Verse 14, And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. Mytilene. All right? Paul later joined the others. He boarded the ship where they were and, and joined them for the rest of the journey. Remembering that, too, uh, we need... We need time alone also, but we need time with others. We need time with the church. We need the time with the body of Christ, with other believers. Why? For encouragement, yes. For accountability, absolutely. For teaching of the word, yes. We need those things. We need time with other believers. Paul spent time alone. He also spent time with others. He wasn't one who went alone and did it all by himself. Remember that too much time alone is not wise. We need others. We need time alone with the Lord, but there's a need for a balance as well. We need time being built up in the things of the Lord. We need time to be built up and encouraged and challenged and strengthened in Christ's likeness. You need to be encouraged by others, and you need to be an encouragement to others. And we need time together as a body of believers. Now I want you to look at the next verses 15 through 17 where we see how Paul planned. He also did some planning. Ministry isn't haphazard. Verse 15, we sailed from there and the next day came, next day came opposite Chios. The following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at, at Trogelium. The next day we came to Miletus. Verse 16, for Paul had decided to set set sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem if possible on the day of Pentecost. And verse 17 says from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Paul planned. He had plans about ministry. Paul planned to be in Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost. It meant not stopping in Ephesus, as we see in verse 16. A visit there would have been nice, but there are limits to what one can do in ministry. It's a reminder to me. We can't do it all, right? We can't do it all. Lots of things we may like to do, but we can't do it all. He made plans, as we should make plans. Paul made better use of his time by meeting with the leaders of the church at Ephesus rather than going to meet them. Paul was also a humble servant. I want you to see that about him. He was a humble servant, something we can't have too many of in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, humble servants. Humility is something Paul modeled for us very well. Verse 18, and when they, when they had come to him, the elders of the church back in verse 17, when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me, 
by the plotting of the Jews. He was really a model to the others. He's a model to us of Christ-like humility. He points out that, that they knew the manner in which he lived. They knew that Paul was the real deal. He, he practiced what he preached, but he did so in humility. I want you to note that in 1 Timothy 3.6, we see the importance of humility in the life of, of a pastor. 1 Timothy 3.6 says, Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Effective, effective Christ-centered ministry, biblically-based ministry requires humility. Ministry must glorify God. It must glorify God and no one else, not the minister by any stretch. It ought to glorify God. Paul is a great example of humility for us. What a challenge to us as well as a church that we be a church filled with believers who are properly humble before the Lord, striving to give Him the glory. We're not in, we're not in ministry to make a name for ourselves as a church or, or as, for in, as individuals. We're here to make a name for Jesus Christ and to give God the glory. I want you to note this too. He didn't hold back. He wasn't fearful. I want you to look at verse 20. He says in verse 20, How I kept back nothing that was helpful. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Understand that Paul kept nothing back that was helpful. He was to proclaim everything that was helpful. He didn't let fear keep him from holding back on what he needed to say. In ministry, there are things that we can proclaim to others that will be helpful to them. I have to constantly remember that as a pastor as I have studied through Scripture and as I come to passages that challenge my heart and even convict me. And when I come to passages that I I think, boy, this could convict some people. This could convict us as a church. This could challenge us. Satan nudges me and says, maybe you shouldn't go so heavy-handed on that. Maybe you shouldn't give, him, you know, give it to him like it is right out of the Word. It might hurt some feelings, you know. You do want to keep your job, right? In ministry, you know, there are things that we can proclaim to others that will be helpful, but sometimes for fear of how others might respond, we hold back. Paul didn't do that. He didn't hold back. You know, it may be that that we hold back from proclaiming that which would be helpful to others because we're selfish. We're thinking about how they might perceive us. Or maybe it's because we're indifferent. We just don't care. Or we're just unwilling to do the hard work of sharing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that sometimes offends people. The gospel is offensive to those who are rejecting Jesus Christ. But Paul wasn't afraid of men, and he wanted to please the Lord more than anything and to give people what they needed. He wasn't fearful, he didn't hold back, and neither should we be fearful and holding back. When you know the truths of God's word, and you know that there are people who need the truths of God's word, we dare not hold back. 
We dare not be fearful of how they might perceive us or think about us. We, we dare not be indifferent or just unwilling to do the hard work of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, speaking the truth in a loving way is Christ-honoring. To sum up what we've seen of Paul's model for ministry, we see that he, he was not self-serving. He was very sacrificial in how he served, how important that we realize that we minister not for our own profit, but for the good of others. Not for our own sakes, but for the sake of others. And Paul proved he wasn't ministering for selfish motives by his caring and sacrificial and humble attitude telling others what they needed to hear without fear of others, without fear of how they might perceive him or think of him. Which really reminds us that his ministry was word-centered. He was able to be fearless because he was focused on what God had instructed, what God had taught, and what Jesus Christ had modeled. He was all about giving the people the truth. It was all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can we learn something from Paul? Absolutely. Are there ministry lessons here in Acts chapter 20? Absolutely. How do we better pay attention to them? Yes, we should. Learn from Paul. Be challenged by the scriptures here. Be challenged by his example and how he modeled ministry. Measure ministry by the biblical standard. Don't measure ministry by men's standards. Measure ministry by whether or not we're being obedient to what God's Word lays out for us, not by whether we're seeing results. Measure ministry by faithfulness to God's Word. Learn from Paul. His example is one we need to follow. So I ask of you this morning, will you be a people who are prayerful with me in asking God for help as we continue continually examine ourselves and the work that we are doing here in light of what God's Word says, in light of what God requires of us? With the attitudes that we will serve Christ for the glory of God and not our own. Will you pray with me about that in the days ahead? Will you be a people who are yielded to the Lord, focused on His Word, all for serving God for God's glory and not our own, so that we can advance the gospel of Jesus Christ in this community for God's glory, so that souls will be saved, so that lives will be changed? Will you pray with me about that in the days ahead? Asking God to help you and help me to be yielded to what God's word teaches us as we find here in Acts chapter 20. I'm asking you to pray with me about this in the days ahead that we would be a people who are yielded to God's word. And when we find these truths in his word about how we are to do ministry that we would heed them and yield to his word. I want to encourage you to be back tonight as we continue with this. There are many more insights here in chapter 20 as we continue on. I think it's beneficial for us. But what's beneficial for us is that we yield to God's word and pray and ask for his help, yes? So let's close with a word of prayer this morning, asking for God's help in this. We cannot do this without his help. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning asking for your wisdom, your guidance, and your direction, your boldness to speak the truth in love, gently, kindly, compassionately toward those who need you, 
Help us to speak the truth. Help us to be a people who are shaped by the truth, molded by the truth, and moved by the truth into obedience. So that as we leave this place this morning, as we have opportunity each and every week to leave this place, to go and be Christ-like, to go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ to a dying world. We know that's why we exist. Father, help us because we are weak and we are tempted and we are often discouraged and Satan often tries to defeat us. So we want your help and we're asking for your help. I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in each of our hearts, helping us to yield to the work that you want to do in and through us in this ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.